Noah's faith. Our text begins by declaring to us that Noah's life was characterized by saving faith. It says, by faith Noah, and then it gives details of his life. By faith Noah. This teaches us that everything Noah did and received was built on the foundation of true faith. Let me remind you that none of the examples of the men and women found in this chapter have a faith that is a less than saving kind of faith. This is not general faith. This is not merely historical faith. This is not temporary faith. It is certainly not devilish faith. This is saving faith. This is the faith which God says in chapter 10, verse 38, leads to righteousness and life. In verse 39, God says this kind of faith leads not to destruction, but to the preservation of souls, to salvation. This is saving faith. This is the faith that doesn't merely mentally accept what God says as true. No, this is a faith that considers God's word as definitive, final, proven. This faith celebrates now the objective reality of what God has promised even though it hasn't yet occurred in time and space. This faith so trusts that it bases its most fundamental life choices on and acts out of obedience to the word of God. Noah is a man, like all the other men and women in this chapter, who doesn't live by bread alone. He lives in the full confidence that every word that comes from the mouth of God ought to be believed, ought to be heeded, ought to be obeyed. This faith, to put it in verse 6 terms, believes in God and in the rewards of following him in faith and obedience. This faith is displayed in the story of Noah's Ark or Noah and the Flood. Because it's so well known, I won't read the multiple chapters that make up that story in Genesis, roughly five through nine. But it may be helpful to note a few other things that other parts of the scriptures tell us about Noah. First, he is a man known for righteousness. That's not only clear in our text and in the Genesis account, but it's directly stated in Genesis 6-9. And it's reinforced later in, the, in, those, in that story when it says two times that Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. It's the same kind of language that's used when Moses and those who were making the tabernacle got to the end of a long set of instructions and they, they did exactly what God said. Well, that's what Noah's doing here. He did exactly what God told him to do. He was a righteous man. But more than this, in Ezekiel 14, 14, Noah, along with Daniel and Job, is held up as a paragon of righteousness. 
If we were to name the most righteous men in the Old Testament to this point, who would that include? Well, apparently it would include Noah. Now that's righteousness. That's a righteous man. But he not only lived righteously, he preached righteousness. Peter tells us in his second epistle that Noah was, quote, a herald of righteousness. He cried out for righteousness and he decried unrighteousness. In modern language, we would say he walked the talk. And he also talked the walk. He did both. He was qualified to do both. So like Abel, he was righteous. Like Enoch, the Bible tells us he walked with God. By faith, he found favor in the eyes of God and was commended and rewarded. And it is faith, saving faith, the gift of God through the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth that underlies all of this. By faith, Noah. Let's look at three things about Noah from this verse. First, Noah received a promise. Noah received a promise. Notice first from verse 7 that Noah received a promise or a warning or a prophecy. It was a promise in the sense that God said, there are two things that will happen. One, I will bring a flood to end life on the earth. Two, I will establish a covenant with you and keep you alive. This summarizes God's message to Noah in Genesis 6. God said there that the wickedness of men on the earth was so great that this was his promise. I will destroy them with the earth. And Noah was also instructed to build an ark for himself and others, so that another promise of God might be fulfilled, which was this, you shall come into the ark and be kept alive. The ark was a vessel of salvation. It was the means whereby God's promise of deliverance would be experienced by Noah and his family. Now, God apparently spoke all of these things to Noah. The word translated warning is normally used, including in the book of Hebrews, the two other cases, of divine, divine communication, information from God to men. It's instruction about things that men can't see, things that are future. So a hundred years before these events came to pass, God promised Noah what would happen. And here's what's important. Noah believed God. Noah had faith. His faith fully accepted what God had promised. Because remember, from Hebrews 1.1, and Noah is a Hebrews 1.1 kind of faith guy. Right? From verse 1, faith made these promises real. It made them substantial. It made them so certain and proven to Noah's mind that he considered it settled. And so naturally, we see secondly from our text that Noah responded with careful attention. 
He believed God. He really believed God. <laughs> and so he didn't just brush off the content of what God told him. He took it seriously. Noah responded with careful attention. The middle of the verse makes this plain in two ways. First, Noah's response to this promise was one of reverent fear. Reverent fear. The word used portrays a careful attentiveness. Noah took what God said seriously. The depth of this devout belief is then proven by Noah's second response. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. In other words, he acted on the word of God. His faith made him realize that the future flood was real, and so he began to immediately obey God's instructions to build an ark of salvation. Now, if we reflect on this, we quickly realize that only a man utterly convinced that God had spoken to him truth would risk the ridicule that would come from building an ark. Build a large boat? Inland? For a flood that would cover the earth? Hmm, what kind of crazy are you, Noah? Noah, you live your life completely different from us. You worship a God none of us know, and now you're spending huge, amount, huge amounts of money and time to build a boat. We know everybody who's ever lived pretty much at this point in human history. This has never happened before. There's never been a need for a boat like this. There's never been a flood that covered the earth. Are you insane? Those of you who are ridiculed for believing in things like creation ex nihilo or the existence of only one true God and one way of salvation, his only son, Jesus Christ, or miracles in the Bible, or that God only made two genders, or that God declares life begins at conception. If you state those things out loud in our culture today, you understand a little bit about the ridicule that Noah experienced. But when you and I do that, the conversation's usually over fairly quickly. Noah's conversation went on for a century. He lived righteously, and he preached judgment and righteousness, and he built an enormous ark, and he kept doing it for a hundred years. And for all of that time, he was both and simultaneously derided and ignored. Here's a preacher of righteousness that preached for a hundred years, and he didn't make a single convert. No one else but those originally promised to him by God got in the ark with him. Not a single person believed. But this is what the life of faith, I'm sorry, what the life of those with saving faith is always like. <laughs> Faith works. God's righteous ones live by faith. True belief is always followed by obedience. 
It's one thing to say you believe God's promise of future judgment. It's quite another to, in holy fear, entrust yourself 100% to that way of salvation by taking hold of it, by grabbing an axe, by cutting gopher trees, by hiring people, by doing all of the things that it must have been an amazing project plan back then. By living as if it were true, because you are utterly convinced that it is. Well, this faith that responded with fear and obedience led to rewards. And we see that thirdly. Noah received three rewards. First, he and his family were physically saved. When the rest of the world perished, these eight survived. The flood was a judgment to the world, but simultaneously, get this, simultaneously, it was physical salvation for Noah. You see, the same waters that drowned the wicked floated the ark of the righteous. God's judgment and his salvation were concurrent. The same means the water that overwhelmed the scoffers supported the righteous in the ark. What a blessing to be delivered from what must have been a really terrifying experience. Right? I mean, it, if what some of the people say that there probably wasn't rain on the earth until this time, if that's true, think how extreme this was. I mean, they'd never heard thunder, lightning. They'd never heard pelting rain. They'd never heard the earth erupt with water as an earthquake. They'd never seen the skies just fall in on them. It must have been horrifying. What a terrible way to die. But Noah and his family, they're preserved in the ark. Oh, they could hear it, but they didn't have to see it. <laughs> to have God's promise to be in his vessel of salvation, to live, <laughs> to live. Oh, what a reward for this man of faith. And this should remind us, brothers and sisters, that every physical salvation is a salvation from the Lord. Every time you get well, that happens because God is the savior of all men. He's caring for you. And it's a picture that ought to move you to pursue eternal salvation. Here's a second reward. He condemned the world. He condemned the world. Now that may not sound like a reward. It might sound more like a result, I suppose. But what I mean is this. Noah was on the right side of history. That's a phrase we hear a lot today almost always wrongly. <laughs> Noah was on the right side of history. He was on God's side. Noah was vindicated. His righteous life, his preaching, and his obedient building of the ark all condemned the world. When it says he condemned the world, it doesn't mean he sat as judge, the highest judge in the land, and, and decreed uh, punishment for everyone else. It means that his faith and life contrasted with the rest of the world's 
and they were wrong, and he was right. They should have taken warning from him. They didn't. And yet, what a gracious warning this was. Do you see that this condemnation had a a huge element of grace in it? Because God didn't announce this to Noah and the destruction come the next day or week. It, It came a hundred years later. It was a century of patience. 1 Peter 3 says that God's patience waited in the days of Noah. What a beautiful picture. It, It apparently wasn't enough to say God was patient in the days of Noah. No, God's patience waited. God's patience was even patient. For a hundred years, God was patient. This is no minor gift. This was opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. The truth was told over and over and over and over again. That's the patience of God. That's not just, well, you know, Noah wasn't a very good builder and it took him a long time. No, this is the kindness of God to wicked men. He really does want you to believe and repent. He does want you to be saved. He does not desire your damnation. But the preaching of Christ through Noah wasn't heard. And so in the end, the world was not only condemned, it was destroyed. Well, thirdly, Noah became an heir of righteousness. That was his third reward, his greatest reward. He became an heir of righteousness. Noah was rewarded with the blessings that come with being counted righteous in God's sight. In other words, we would say with new covenant light, Noah was justified and therefore was about to experience the blessings of adoption. Because according to our verse, this righteousness comes by faith. This is simply saying that Noah experienced the same salvation in the same way that all the elect for all time experience whether they live before Christ or after Christ. All men in their sin and separation from God need a righteousness if they are going to be at peace with God. And this righteousness is not, as Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.9, a righteousness of our own making that comes from us keeping the law. You cannot do it. No, but it comes... This righteousness comes, this perfect holiness, this complete justification comes, again to quote Paul, through faith in Christ. A righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's what Noah had. He became an heir of the righteousness by faith. The blessings of sonship and justification through faith in God's Redeemer were the possession of Noah. Or as Genesis 6-8 puts it, just very simply, Noah found favor. The word is the word for grace. 
Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And all of this, of course, is rooted in Jesus Christ. Because he alone is the heir of all things. No one's ever earned anything from God down here except one man, the God-man. And it all belongs to him. God's promised every bit of it to him. So how can Noah become an heir if Christ, it all belongs to Christ? Simple, he becomes united to Christ. When he gets placed in Christ, then what's Christ is his. And he gets to share the riches, the wealth, the rewards of the righteousness of faith. Oh, what a delight. What a, what a grace. Where do we get faith from? God. It's a gift of God, right? Philippians 1.29, Ephesians 2.8 and 9 is a gift of God. And then we exercise that faith, moved by God's Holy Spirit, and we believe in Jesus Christ. And what does, what does God do? He rewards us for using the gift that he gave us. That's grace on grace. That's, that's real love. That's generosity. And more than that, as we live the Christian life and we grow, he continues to reward us. And the rewards that come in this life pale in comparison to what's going to happen in that life to come. And all of that because of his gift of faith. And Noah knew that, oh yes, in, in rougher terms, with less specifics, etc. But Noah saw all that. Noah knew that. And Noah gained that. Well, that brings us to three uses. First, this verse teaches us that God's promises are not to be separated from God's means. God's promises are not to be separated from God's means. God promised Noah physical preservation. The means God told Noah to use for this preservation was an ark, right? It had to be built and he had to get in it. So the promise is preservation. The means or the way God would do this was the ark. If Noah did not build the ark, or refused to enter it, he would not have been saved. Oh, but, 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 but God promised. No, <laughs> no. God promised salvation through means. Amen. Don't go to God and quote part of what he tells you. Oh, well, you promised me this. You promised me eternal life. If you repent and believe. Oh, but I'll get it anyway. God's good and kind. No, no. You're chopping up the word of God. You're picking the parts you like. In other words, you're listening to you, not God. That's your word at that point. That's not God's word. No, God promised through means, through the use of some instrument. As William Perkins rather famously said, God's bare promise is not enough. Now that sounds a little shocking and 
I think that was probably his point. He was known to be a great preacher, and he probably wanted to get the attention of his audience, and so I borrowed it <laughs> with a footnote. God's bare promise is not enough. We must listen to all of his words, Amen. including the stated ways we are to use to gain God's promises. In other words, we have to be theologians that agree with Noah if we want to be saved. You know, Calvinists are not fatalists. We are not fatalists. We don't believe that stuff's going to happen no matter, no matter what you do or don't do. That's what Islam believes. That, that's a false god and a false doctrine. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Faith is not opposed to the use of means. You'll sometimes, I really hope you don't listen to any of these people on the television, but you will often hear that, you know, all you need is faith, and you can name it, you can claim it, and faith alone will, will provide the power for things to, it's just like magic. Well, none of that's biblical. None of that's biblical. That's not the way God has laid things out to work. God has not ordained that his promises come to pass whether we use means or not. Again, faith is not opposed to means. In fact, what faith does, faith believes the means and uses the means in order to get the promise. That's what faith does. Faith believes all that God has said, not just the part that appeals to me, not just the, the good reward. you want a healthy soul, you have to agree with God that you're thoroughly disease-ridden first. Oh, but I like this part. I don't like that part. Faith hears all that God has to say, and to get God's reward, it uses the means that God provides. Do you want to be saved from the wrath to come? Then use the means. Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. It's not just, oh, you're a human being. Uh, you'll get into heaven when you die, period, end of sentence. No, that's not how it works. Most Americans think that's how it works. It's how do you enter heaven? Death. Oh, there's one or two exceptions. <clears throat> Usually somebody's mother-in-law or ex-boss, <laughs> right? We're very selective. But that's how you get into heaven. You just die. That's where you go. No, no. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you gain eternal life. But, but, but I'm elect. And so I'll be saved no matter what. No. No, you won't. That's not scriptural. No. One of the main ways you would know that you're elect is by your faith. And whether or not you've exercised it or not. How do you know if you're elect? Well, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have, you're elect. If you haven't, I don't know. And you can't know either. At least, not yet. If you use the means, you can be assured of your salvation. Because Jesus has said, everyone who comes to me, I won't turn them away. So if you use the means that God has given, you can be assured that the reward will be yours. 
So God, in his decree, he ties together the end, that is the promise, the, the reward, and the means. He's tied them together. Enter the ark, Noah, and you will be saved. Don't build it or don't enter it. You won't, you won't be saved. And, of course, in our day, the call is to enter the ark that is Jesus and be saved. If you ignore him, you will perish. If you don't enter into Christ, you will perish. Here's a second use. Judgment and salvation often come simultaneously. Judgment and salvation often come simultaneously. By that I mean they often come at the same time and by the same means. Let me remind you of the wise plan of God for Noah. The very waters that drowned the wicked held up the ark and preserved the righteous. So was the water judgment or was the water salvation? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Judgment and salvation came together. What made the difference? Faith. And this principle is true in our own regular experience if you have eyes to see it. When the word of God is preached, it always achieves God's purposes. Amen. Always, every time, no exception. It never returns void to him. Some are strengthened in the way of salvation who hear it, and others who hear it are hardened in the way of judgment. This is true every time the word of God is rightly proclaimed. It's true right now. Amen. Some of you have faith. Some of you don't. Every one of you is either being graced or hardened. At the same time and by the same means, the means is the word of God, some are judged and some are saved. Judgment and salvation come simultaneously. Again, what's the difference? Some exercise faith and some don't. When the Lord's table is administered, it's possible for one to have living fellowship with the risen Christ while according to 1 Corinthians, another eats and drinks judgment to himself. Judgment and salvation come often simultaneously. What's the difference? Faith. You who are believers, do you see the great value of faith? If you have not thanked God for the gift of faith recently, I would urge you to, with your whole heart, do so. Well, thirdly and finally, we live under the same promise and warning as Noah. You and I live under the same promise and warning as Noah. I hope you realize this. God promised Noah 
the destruction of the world with the ungodly, but salvation for the righteous. A greater than Noah, Jesus Christ, came and said, and this is recorded in Matthew 24, 37, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What Jesus means is that when he returns, the world will be destroyed by fire and final, ultimate judgment and salvation will come. This is as true and as certain as God's word to Noah. You can depend on Jesus' words coming true. So like Noah, my question to you is simply this. Are you reverently fearing God and, his, and this word? Are you taking seriously the fact that Jesus Christ is returning and he will return to save his people and destroy by fire everyone and everything else? Because if you really believe that, you'll respond in faith. <laughs> you will use the means to be rescued when Jesus Christ returns. Are you reverently fearing God? Do you walk with him? Do you worship him? And are you by faith entering the safety provided by the new ark, Jesus Christ? You see, in Christ, there is all the righteousness you need to be saved from this fiery judgment. So, take him by faith. Or maybe a better metaphor would be something like hide yourself in him be united to him and you will be saved that's the promise let's pray